have the truth and the Word of God that supports what, what we've been teaching and, and preaching here. And this is what the Lord explained to me. He said, you've got to set the edges first. You've got you to put the border in first. And when you're working a, a jigsaw puzzle, you know, that's kind of the low-hanging fruit. Because if that puzzle piece has got a flat side on it, you know uh, at least <laughs> uh, you, you, you understand more where that piece goes than you do any other piece because you know it's got to be on the edge. And so we start fishing through looking for the, the edge pieces. But see, then once you get that edge set, the way you know one of those pieces Satan has tried to put on the table, the way you know that it don't belong in this picture, it doesn't belong in this puzzle, is that it doesn't fit inside the border. Are you with me? Okay. And one of the most important borders we can ever understand and establish in our lives, if we're ever going to come to the truth about our salvation, our new birth, and understanding it and being confident in it, is this border that it's not of works. Are you hearing me? It's not of works. Any piece of the understanding salvation puzzle that requires something of you, behavior related, what have you, I mean, obviously other than calling on the name of the Lord and being saved, but I'm talking about something that you have to do to earn it, something that you have to do to deserve it, okay? That piece doesn't, doesn't belong because it doesn't fit in that border. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying here? And, of course, we know that there's no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. So if, if, if it, that's another border. So, you know, there's a lot of people who out here, you know, putting their own puzzle together. Somehow, I don't know, I think it was Sister Sandra, many years ago at, at youth camp, she whipped out a jigsaw puzzle and, you know, our free time spread it out on an eight-foot table and, and it's, you know, we're all do this teamwork. You know, you, when you ministered, I don't know, last year or so, when you brought the tab- table out in the puzzle and nobody seemed to want to help Daniel, well, that's not how it was at camp, man. I'm just telling you. But see, not everybody can work on the part where you get the border assembled. So you have people down on the other end of the table. You got any pieces down there that's got a red stripe in them, right? Because they're, they're knowing that all these pieces are the red stripe. And so they're putting all those pieces together. Then eventually they'll bring that over and find where it fits within the border. But if, if you're building something over here that don't fit within the, the established borders, and, and, the, and the thing about the established border is there's nowhere on earth that I know of that I could go and preach, you know, that you can be good enough. Well, I, the world's changing, the church is changing, but, but it's pretty much a universally accepted uh, from Scripture that salvation is not something that we can earn or deserve that it's a gift freely given, okay? Um, and so if, if you've got a, a section or a piece of the puzzle that requires you doing something to be saved other than what Jesus has already done for you and you receiving that, it don't, it don't fit. Are you following me? So I don't know. I'm, I'm still, there's stuff I'm working on where all that's concerned, but I just felt prompted tonight as this was loading to, to, to mention that to you. And we'll, we'll cover some more of that. Um, in uh, in the days ahead, but with that, and it's it's down deeper in my notes. 
and I'll say it again probably when I get there, but um, salvation and right standing with God are not for sale and cannot be earned. It's not for sale and it cannot be earned. Amen. 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 All right. Let me do a little bit of review this, this evening as we get started. God desires to have unbroken fellowship with the men and women he created. Not just fellowship, but unbroken fellowship. And we all long for the same thing that God longs for. We're, we're concerned. Um, some understand this, most do not. I've heard it said since I was a kid in church and could understand sermons that there's this place inside of us that only God can feel. Sometimes they call that a, God, a God-sized hole that only God can feel, and, and we sometimes try to satisfy that desire, that longing that only God can feel and satisfy in our hearts with other things. And we, and we don't recognize that, that, that God um, you know, is, is the one and the only one who can fill that hole. Now, I agree with that, that truth and that statement, but I think it needs a little more uh, definition here, okay? Because there are a lot of people who are born again and God lives inside of them, but they still have that empty place in their heart. And that's because we're, we're not just longing for um, God in our lives. We're longing for fellowship with God. And, and there's a big difference there. We've, we've tried to describe it in terms of positionally one with God versus functionally one with God. And you, know, you can have a marriage license that makes you positionally one with somebody, but not even live under the same roof with them, okay? And that'll never satisfy your desire for a spouse. And so in the same way, this God-shaped or God-sized hole that's inside of us, um, it won't just be filled and satisfied with, you know, getting saved. That's a huge step towards that hole being filled. But again, what your heart ultimately longs for mirrors what it is that God's heart longs for with you. What you long for with Him and what He longs for with you is the same thing. It's that functional oneness, that, that fellowship um, that He enjoys with, that Father God enjoys with Jesus and the Holy Spirit that we've been called into. So you'll never be satisfied in life outside of fellowship with God, both positionally and then as it translates in to our functioning as one with Him. Now, a few weeks back, we asked the question, what would God have to do for us so that we could live in unbroken fellowship with Himself? Because this is what He desires, and this is what we desire. So what, what is it going to take to make this happen? All right? What, what is, what is going to have to be done? Not just fellowship, because there was some semblance of that in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. It, it wasn't anything like what we have now uh, established by the blood of Jesus. But there was something in the Old Testament called atonement. Atonement. And the word atonement actually began 
secularly, okay, in other words, it didn't originate as a Bible word, it originated as a secular word that was used in legal proceedings, that was used in, in, uh, in other negotiations. And, and what it literally means is what it spells out, A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T. It, it spells out at one month. I've got that somewhere. Let me go down here for a minute. Okay, there we go. So that's, that's atonement, um, also known as at one month. And so this word went from a word that was used uh, in many different settings to one now being almost exclusively used uh, in, in biblical terms of being of having atonement or being uh, atoned, your sin being atoned, amen. Um, again, this word, I see some of you nodding, some of you like, what in the world is he talking about there? Okay, all right, so we'll, we'll come back to that uh, in, in just a moment. But what, what we see, of course, we're asking this question again, what's going ha- to have to take place? How can God fix this? How can, how can and, and by the way, we caused the problem, but he took it upon himself to resolve it for us, okay? Um, and, and I think by asking the question this way, it, it's going to help us, first of all, see it from God's perspective and not just our own. But then I, I think also provide the right kind of context for what the Bible clearly says Jesus has done for us, accomplished on our behalf as us, and then freely given to us. So one more time, what would God have to do for us to live not just in fellowship with himself, but in unbroken fellowship? Not just in relationship with Him, but in fellowship with Him. And not just in fellowship with Him, but in a state of being in fellowship with God that cannot be broken, that cannot be severed, that cannot be uh, ended, amen, or altered. All right. So to answer this question, then, we've, we've got to go back to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is sin. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what breaks our fellowship with God. And of course, with sin being our choice, with sin being our choice, it puts God in a position. It's like, okay, he wants to have, and by the way, a lot of these verses that we talk about his mercy enduring forever, and that's the whole Old Testament. I mean, it's not that God has changed. His heart for you and me has remained the same. Now, the covenant has changed. And, and, and what Jesus has done for us and given to us has changed us. But God's heart has been the same since before He created Adam. He created Adam in His image and likeness and all the descendants of Adam uh, in, in God's image and likeness so that we could have this fellowship with Him and unbroken fellowship with Him. Um, if the unbroken fellowship part is throwing you, uh, who enjoys an on-again, off-again relationship? No, see, we, weren't, we don't even like that with, with, with people that, that we love and the people we have in our lives. You know, this on again, off again, and, and amen. That's, I think I don't even have to say any more about that. It's, and so certainly Father doesn't want that with us. He wants on again, on again, always on. Always uh, one with Him, always. Uh, and so... The shame and all these consciousness of sin, all the stuff that we read about in the scriptures, again, it's like, okay, a sacrifice that'll purge the very consciousness of sin. You know, what is that about? It's, it's about not just the positional oneness, but our ability to function and live every day of our lives 
in a state of oneness and fellowship with God. So, so obviously then sin is the problem and sin is what separates us from God. And sin is our choice, and God's not going to alter our ability to choose sin. So this is a problem for us, but it's also a problem for God, who wants to forgive you for your sake, but also for His own. So we've come to this conclusion. For God to have unbroken fellowship with us, He must figure out a way to prevent our choice to sin from ever separating us from himself while at the same time never compromising his own justice and righteousness. Wow. Again, for God to have unbroken fellowship with us, he has to figure out a way to keep our choice to sin from separating us from himself while at the same time not compromising his own justice and righteousness. This, this, is, this is a problem. It's a dilemma, even for God. Because we see that every sin incurs a debt that must be paid and cannot be swept under the rug as if it never happened. If God just pretended our sin never happened and that it didn't incur a debt, or he had just let the tab run wild, kind of like the federal government's, well, how many trillion dollars are we in debt now? It's like... Is, does it, is it, has anybody noticed that, the, that they don't even talk about it anymore? I mean, years ago it was like, I'm going to be your president and I'm going to help balance the budget. Now it's like, they don't, they don't even tell us that lie anymore. I, don't get me started on all that. But again, God's not like that. Every sin incurs a debt. And for Him to look the other way and pretend like it didn't happen, would you consider... Uh, a, a judge sitting on a bench and you're standing before him because, um, you know, that judge's cousin broke into your house and, 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 and stole your wife's wedding rings and all that other stuff. And you got him on camera and, and, and the judge doesn't do anything about it or make him even return the rings because they're related. That's not just. That's not fair. God's not like that. So, again, we still choose to sin and sin separates us from God. And so God's got to figure out how can he prevent our sin when we commit it? How can he keep it from separating us from him while at the same time not compromising his own justice and righteousness? So the answer to this dilemma that God finds himself in is come up with a way to pay in advance for your sin and my sin before we commit it. Are you, are you, see, that, that's the only way this is going to work. Now, I, we see it in the Scriptures. It's been addressed in the Scriptures. And it obviously needs to be mentioned here because the one of those... Um, arguments against this truth is, well, if people find this out, they'll just use it as an excuse to sin. That is, that is, such, a, um, that is such a poor opinion of the beings that God created in His image and likeness. 
Is there very real evil in the world? Yes. Are there very real evil people in the world? Yes. Did Jesus die for us all? Yes. But to think of every fellow human being as someone who's just looking for a reason to get one over on somebody else, again, that's not who God created us to be. I'm not trying to be naive and I'm not trying to pretend like things aren't going on in the world around us. Certainly there are. There's very real evil in the world. And I, and I got that already. But, but Jesus believes the best about you. He bled to death naked on the cross believing that somebody somewhere wanted to be right with God and was going to welcome His gift of righteousness into their lives and His help in their life in, in overcoming sin and not living as a slave to it. Amen. Amen. So this whole, well, you shouldn't tell people that, because that, that is so lame. I mean, that is, that is so 1950s or whatever. I mean, that's so, I mean, let's get over that already. People are going to do what they, they do the same thing. Preachers in the pulpit do the same thing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, I have seen a lot of people, I have seen a lot of people in the last 40 years do a lot of crazy, carnal, goofy things in the name of, of the Holy Spirit. Acting in ways and carrying on and, and all sort of stuff, okay? But listen to me. That makes that person wrong. It doesn't make what the Bible says about the baptism in the Holy Spirit wrong. Just because somebody's immature and, and listen, I've seen folks that just, you know, baby Christians, they get full of the Spirit and get excited about God and and, and, you know, amen, I'm not, I've got all kinds of stories in my head. I'm not going to tell any of them, amen. But the point, I'm, you've been there, I've been sitting next to you. Was, amen, amen. I'll tell you one. We were at a revival and Matt was, um, he's standing at the platform up real straight, you know, with his, with his trumpet. He's doing it like this, you know, he keeps, I guess keeps the valves warm. I don't know what he does, but he's standing real straight and everything's, he, they ain't calling him to sing yet and, and it's, it's, it's a Holy Ghost breakdown in the house. And I'm, in, I'm enjoying it, right? Well, then all of a sudden this man, he, he cuts loose and, and, uh, and he starts duck walking. You know, he's duck walking, man. He's having himself a good time. And then he just comes all up on the platform, you know, like he owns the place and like he's in charge of the service and he's not. He's out of order. He's out of order. I'm not saying he's not in the spirit, but I am telling you he's out of order. Are you following me? And he's drawing attention to himself. Amen. And I, again, we're supposed to, but praise God. Well, then he gets up on the platform and everybody can see him now. And so, boy, he starts to dancing, right? And it's somewhere between a Holy Ghost jig and a buck dance. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's, he's got it going down. I mean, you know, I, it's obvious, Donald, that he's done it before. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is not spontaneous, which is okay. Amen. And then, you know, uh, he, uh, Matt's watching him. I'm watching him. And I'm trying not to make eye contact with my brother because, you know, when we were kids growing up, if Daddy didn't like us laughing a whole lot around the table when we were supposed to be eating, and I knew if I ever made eye contact with him, I was going to laugh and then get punished, you know. So I try not to make eye contact with him. Well, the man, he, he does, he's dancing and carrying on like this, and he gets right here, and he hollers, and he screams, and he throws his foot up in the air, and when he does, his shoe comes off. And it's going backwards like this, Andre, out into the crowd. Amen. And I, I catch eyes with my brother. I'm just like I'm looking at you right now. I do my hands up like this, and then I went like this. It's good. It's good. Amen. Of course, 
I got him back for all those times he got me in trouble because nobody can see me, but everybody can see him because did I remind you he's standing on the stage doing his trumpet like this, right? Okay, amen. So, but now watch this. That doesn't mean that, that the Holy Spirit won't come on you and, and you won't fall out or run or shout or whatever. Spirit of the prophet, subject to the prophet. Bible's clear about that, okay? But now watch this. Just because somebody gets in error, what do preachers do? It's, it, they, they throw out everything. If somebody says, I'm under grace and I can sin, I can do whatever I want to do, okay? It doesn't make what the Bible says about grace wrong. It makes that person wrong, but it doesn't make the truth about these things wrong. Amen. Amen. So, and we got to break free from that. And, and Titus 2, 11, 1 John 3, just mention those verses now. We see just the opposite is actually true. For somebody who has a heart for God, grace will teach you how to live righteously and soberly in this present evil age. Grace will teach you. 1 John 3, he who has this hope in Jesus. What hope? That when we see him, we're going to be like him. Amen. Because he's in us now. And the Bible says the one who has this confident expectation in himself will purify his life even as Christ is pure. In other words, the, the understanding of what God has done for us is what will ultimately motivate us to... to, to get the sin out and to be more disciplined and self-control and the fruit of the Spirit and, and all these things in our lives. There was a, a, a sister, she came here for a while, she went through the foundry and, and um, I'm just, I hear from her every now and then still living for God, loving Jesus and she was in the women's program there at the foundry and um, it was around Easter time and they were playing the movie The Passion of the Christ. And um, it was the scene, to me, it's, it's, it's one of the most powerful scenes in the whole movie. And it's when he's being, being they're portraying uh, the Roman soldier whipping Jesus, beating him. And um, I was watching that in the theater and crying, almost like uncontrollably crying, you know, just so touched me. And the Holy Spirit said this to me, he says, and I can't get more than half my ministers to even preach healing. After all Jesus did for us to be healed. But anyway... My sister Brandy, she was sitting there watching all that Jesus did, and lights were kind of dim in the room. I wasn't there, it was just all the women in the room, lights were kind of dim, but of course they told me about it, she told me about it later. In the middle of all that, she jumped to her feet, and at the top of her lungs, she said, I'll never smoke another cigarette, and sat back down. And they were later, they're like, what in the world? What? She said, when I realized how much Jesus wants me to be healthy... Are you, are you seeing this now? Not somebody in a pulpit threatening her that she's going to go to hell if she don't quit smoking. Not somebody threatening you're harming your witness. All this. Listen, I, 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 amen. But, but notice what motivated her to change that in her life with the Lord's help was when the grace of God, when she realized how much He loved her and how much He wanted her every bit whole spirit, soul, and body. And, and the damage that she was doing to the body that he wanted to make well and whole. And again, it was a spontaneous. I mean, she just stood up and hollered it out. So that kind of presents a different side of this whole idea that if you preach grace, people will use it as an excuse to sin. I believe it's just the opposite. That when we really understand what he's done for us, how much he loves us, the price that he's paid for us, how much it cost him to give you and me the opportunity to have unbroken fellowship with him, 
This, this will motivate you to, um, well, let's go back to him being settled in your heart, right? Where, you know, you, you realize, you know, I, Paul said all things are lawful for me. You realize what he's saying? He said, I'm not under law anymore. I might be, you know, paraphrasing this a little too heavy handed, but, but he's basically saying I can do anything I want. Right? But what, why did he not do anything he wanted? It's because, do you not know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? And that he lives in you? That he's with you? And there are things that grieve him? And I'm not going to do things that grieve him because he's in me? And I'm not going to do things that would hinder my fellowship with him? Some of you weren't here for this part of the teaching, but remember we talked about um, the renter who's behind on his rent never calls about a leaking pipe. You know, in other words, when we feel like we're indebted to somebody, we avoid them. When we feel like there's something in between us that's not resolved, you know, uh, hopefully the mature man, woman, you know, will go and make it right and figure it out and, and be a peace uh, maker. But, you know, I'm, I've, been in, I've been avoided before in Walmart by people. Amen. You know what I'm saying? And so that's the level of understanding that Father wants us to have where all these things are concerned. So the only answer then is how can we, God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit, how can we pay in advance for the sin before it's committed and have that sin have already separated them from me for committing it so that when sin is committed people will not die and be separated you understand what I'm saying it's not just like oh God's like okay okay I forgive you but just buddy please stop doing that you know okay I'll forgive you again but please stop doing you know, that whole pay as you go mindset that we talked about two weeks ago or three weeks ago no see every time a person sins that sin separates that man or woman from God so any price that would be paid in advance for the sin has to include the separation. Are you seeing it? In other words, the only way that any, you know, the only way my sin, if I commit a sin, I don't have any plans on doing it, but if I leave here tonight and commit a sin, the only way that sin will not separate me from God is if somebody has already been separated from God for that sin. And that's Jesus. When he hung on the cross, he became my sin. He became your sin. The Bible says, Father laid upon Jesus the iniquity, the willful acts of sinfulness and and rebellion against him. He laid every bit of those sins on Jesus. And when Jesus became your sin and my sin hanging on the cross, that sin, your sin, my sin, separated him from God the Father. So this means that any sin I commit from this point forward right? It should separate me from God, but it will not separate me from God because it's already separated somebody from God for me. Are you following this? There's a name for this doctrine. It's called salvation. This, this, is, this is the substitutionary work that Jesus carried out for you and for me. So we've talked about this in the past, once and for all, 
Jesus is one sacrifice for all sin for all time. One sacrifice for all sin, past, present, and future. Once and for all people, past, present, and future. So when Jesus paid for your sin, He paid for it all. Jesus came to do more for you and me than forgive sin. Jesus came to take away sin. He came to take away sin. And we see this in John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's different from forgiving. Romans 11 and 27, For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah many, many years before. And Jesus came and has made it a reality for you and me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. And then Hebrews 10 and 4, we see that it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Now this brings us back to that word, at-one-ment, which is pronounced atonement. And I'll go ahead and put it back up on the screen. The Old Testament system called for animal sacrifices to be made on behalf of sin as a covering for sin, okay, as a covering for sin, which would in turn provide atonement. So we see then that the blood of the animal was the price that was paid to cover over the sin and ultimately lead to at-one-ment with God or atonement with God. So in this model, the blood or the life of the animal was the redemption. Remember, redemption is the price paid to secure um, freedom from slavery or from uh, uh, a, a ransom, in, in essence. Uh, prisoner, fines are paid, let out of prison. A slave, uh, because of debt that's owed, paid, let out of slavery. That's the concept of redemption. So in the Old Testament model, the blood or the life of the animal was the redemption, or we could say the price paid to cover the sin and once that price was paid, the result of that was at one month or atonement. So the, the, the phrase of the expression would be, those sins have been atoned for. Those sins have been atoned for. Because, again, the opposite of at one month is separation. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to go too far down this road, but the words used for covering sin... It wasn't just like somebody went and you know put a sheet of paper over it or or a blanket or something like that. It it had to do the imagery again was something that began in the secular world, but ultimately came to be almost an exclusive use in the Bible. And it it would almost be like a thick coating. For example, the the same word that's used to cover sin is the same word that was used when uh, Noah covered the inside and the outside of the ark uh, with pitch, basically with tar. Um, he sealed it from the inside and the outside. And, and, and so the same imagery is used of 
Um, it, doesn't, it, it couldn't take away the sin, but it did, it did put a coating over it. How about that? Okay. It, it covered it pretty, pretty well. Amen. All right. So here is just in my, in my studies over the last few weeks, kind of begin to ask the question, like, Lord, you know, you read the Old Testament, you see atonement or atone or atoned, you know, with a D. Y'all bailing out on me? Y'all still being for a few more minutes? Okay. Amen. Oh, my Jesus, I could do this forever. All right, man, thank you, Father. All right. Yes, sir, I'm going to do it forever one day. So listen to me, please. Praise God. Let me finish this. Okay. Are you, here's, here's the thing I think is going to interest you, all right? Anybody besides me notice you don't find atone or atonement in the New Testament? In the King James Version 1900, uh, year 1900 edition, and I think one before that, um, which is basically the King James Version we use today, you find atonement in, atonement, yeah, that version of the word, that derivative word, atonement. You find it in Romans 5.11, but it's the same word in the Greek that's translated everywhere else, reconciliation. And again, New King James Version forward, you don't, you don't find uh, atonement or atonement. In the Old Testament, though, you find it 103 times. So why do we not see atonement? These are questions I'm asking the Lord. Right? So, Lord, why, why, don't we, why don't we see atonement, that expression, in the Old Testament, but we see it um, in the New Testament? And I think the best answer, and this, you think about it and pray about it, amen? But I think the, the best answer goes back to the Old, Old Testament system um, would cover over the sin, but it wouldn't take it away. So the idea then is the animal sacrifice was at best, was the best it could produce, was a temporary payment. Come on now, you got to get this. When they, when they slit the animal's throat and spilled its blood to pay for the sin that had been committed, it covered that sin and provided atonement. But the animal sacrifice was at best a temporary payment which could therefore only produce temporary atonement or atonement. Meaning what? Meaning if, if the uh, worshiper who offered the animal sacrifice to atone for his sin, amen, if he left that uh, synagogue, that temple, whatever, and went and sinned again, we've got new sin on top of the old sin that has been covered. And now that sin has separated and broken the fellowship. Or we could say, there's no longer at one month. Are you seeing this? In other words, there's new sin that has not yet been paid for, and that sin now has separated. So, last verse, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. 
But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Amen. All right, stand with me. Praise God. Oh, you get anything out of this tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Now, I've said this before. I'm not. I'm happy to say this again. I'm not. You know, sometimes people like they just smelt a dead fish. You know. So you tell me you believe in once saved, always saved. And see, I believe in once born, always born. Amen. Now, people have very strong opinions about these things, and I'm aware of that. Amen. I'm more interested in people hearing the truth from the Word of God and then just like, Father, trust you and me to make the right choices. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to help them make the right choices and see these things. But the Holy Spirit has led me to present it to you this way. I'm not just trying to come out gunslinging. In other words, because we try to understand salvation and all that it involves from our perspective instead of fathers we don't even know what it was for most born-again people think god gave us salvation so we wouldn't go to hell they have no idea they have no idea the longing that he has for fellowship with us we were created for fellowship with him Brother Donald said something to me a few weeks back. He said, the Lord told him, when I saved you, Donald, I saved a part of myself. And that's true. That's true. But see, if we, if we never have this context, we never have this understanding, it'll, it'll never make sense why Jesus has done what. So we'll do one of two things. We, we, we'll hear it and we just, it'll just sail right over our heads. Or we'll start trying to explain away the Scriptures to fit what, what we've already made our minds up to believe. But I think if we understand the context, again, what is the context? The context is Father's desire to have positional and functional, unbroken fellowship with you and me. Okay? So if we can agree on that, whether or not you believe it's possible yet or not, if we can agree on that and use that then as, okay, if that's what He desires, then what's it going to take? You see how we're thinking here, right? How the Holy Spirit's thinking here? What's it going to take? Got to figure out some way that their sin won't separate us. Well, how can we pull that off? Sin's got to separate, so, man, if there was some way we could just go ahead and put all the sin on one scapegoat, that was the, the priest lays hand on the goat and send the goat away, right? It's kind of a mass forgiveness ceremony. And so, again, Jesus is the lamb. He's a spotless lamb. He was more undeserving of death than all of us combined were deserving of it. So by Him becoming one sacrifice for all sins for all time, He was able to provide for you and me, watch this now, eternal redemption. The blood of that goat was temporary at best redemption, which provided temporary at one moment at best. Now Jesus is the perfect Lamb. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. Every sin I'll ever commit or ever have committed, 
It's already separated somebody from God for me. You got it already. I'm just, but I want you to I'm, see now it's like, okay, all right. Now we're starting to have some, some framework develop where we can really, I think, begin to embrace what it is he's given to us and done for us. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for people who want to know you, Lord. Thank you for people who are hungry and thirsty for you and for your righteousness, Lord. People who want to know the truth, Father, they've been lied to. Some, some folks listen to me right now, Father, they've been lied to often on their whole lives. I'm not talking about my brothers or sisters or, or spouses or family members. I'm talking about by, by people representing you, Father. And Lord, I thank you that you are bringing us and leading us, Holy Spirit, to the truth, all truth, spirit of truth. We say thank you tonight. We say thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. We say thank you, Jesus, for being willing to come and follow through on everything you followed through on. And we say, Holy Spirit, thank you for, because no man calls Jesus Lord but, but by you. No man receives salvation without your help, Holy Spirit. So you've helped us receive the positional oneness. Now thank you for helping us walk in that functional oneness that we so long for. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, I think it counts double when it's raining and you don't feel like it. Amen. So thank you for being here. Much love and good things coming. I'll see some of you Sunday, uh, some before, some after that. Good things.